episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected is brought to you by Bridgeside Medical Clinic, Chesapeake Integrated Behavioral Healthcare, and Edgar Casey's ARE. Now more than ever, we have an opportunity to be a positive force in the world, to help heal the divide, to treat each other and ourselves with respect. But with so many tools out there, from meditation to physical training, proper nutrition, therapy, and so many others, we all need a little help navigating all the options. Join us as we share in-depth information, insights, and thought-provoking discussions that will help answer your questions about how to stay calm, cool, and connected during these times. Welcome to Calm, Cool, and Connected, your guidebook to peace of mind. Hello, and welcome to Calm, Cool, and Connected. I'm your host, Dr. Elizabeth Bedrick. Today, we're going to be talking about a very sensitive and often misunderstood topic of suicide. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, suicide falls into the top 10 leading causes of death in the U.S. and is the second leading cause of death for individuals between the ages of 10 and 34. September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, and so you've probably seen a significant amount of information regarding suicide on your social media accounts, uh, in the news, but often it can be really difficult to make sense of this. It's hard to process through it. It's hard to really understand it. So here today is Victoria Seacrest. She's a therapist and suicide prevention advocate. Victoria is here to answer some of our questions on these difficult topics and also help clear up some of the misconceptions around it. So hi, Victoria. Welcome. Hi, Liz. Thanks for having me. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. Before we jump in, let's Talk a little bit about your background. Let's talk about the work that you're doing in the mental health field, as well as the advocacy work that you do. Absolutely. So I just always like to start out with, I am a military veteran. And so through my service, I saw a lot of people who were impacted or who died by suicide. And so I think that's really where some of this passion started to come up for me. So now as a marriage and family therapist, I specialize in working with people who have been impacted by suicide. And so when I say impacted by suicide, that means people who are struggling with suicidal thoughts and feelings. That also means those who have uh, lost someone to suicide. So really helping them navigate the grief because it's, it's hard, it's confusing. And like you said, there are a lot of misconceptions out there. What are some of those common misconceptions that you run into? So whether it is when even we know the clients that come in with suicidal ideation even have misconceptions around it. And so when working with clients, when working with friends and family members, what are some of these things that you have noticed that are more of a theme? So one thing that I noticed, you know, both from people who are struggling and from, you know, people in in those people's lives are that suicide is selfish. And, and this one's tough, right? Because everyone's going to have, you know, different thoughts and opinions based on their background when it comes to suicide. So I really just try to break it down for people that, you know, people who are struggling with these thoughts, they are experiencing immense pain. And within that pain, feeling like a burden, feeling like they don't know that they're alone. You know, oftentimes these people are in isolation. It's easy to kind of have a narrow view of life in those moments. So I really don't view it as these people are being selfish, but it's that at that point in time, you can't see anything else around you. You're only left with, you know, your immense emotions big emotions at that time. Right. And that, that 
flooding and that debilitating feeling. A lot of people are are in a place of just make it stop, like whatever, because we know a lot of even unhealthy coping mechanisms, other type of unhealthy co- coping mechanisms are very frequently tied to no one is sitting there in their prefrontal cortex thinking through, is this the most logical response? But rather it is literally the feeling of just get the pain to stop. Is that your experience with, with clients who come in? Oh, absolutely. Right. People come in and often what I hear, you know, more times when people are struggling with suicidal thoughts, I don't hear as much those direct thoughts of, I want to kill myself or I'm planning on killing myself. It's more like I like I just am tired of life. Like life feels really heavy right now. I want this to end. And so it's usually those more passive thoughts that I hear first, but then of course need to then assess further so we can get an understanding of, you know, are you in a dangerous place right now? You know, do we need to get you some extra support? Right. What other misconceptions are common? What what else comes to mind? Okay, so so this next one I think is really tough for people. And when it comes to suicide, suicides it's complicated, it's complex. You know, even just being able to like study it, it's like wow, there's so many potential warning signs, and there are so many potential risk factors. And people can have a lot of those risk factors and not be at risk for suicide. So that that throws a lot of people off. And so then when you know, they, someone, you lose someone in your life to suicide, whether it's a friend or a family member, um, people feel guilt and shame of like, how did I not know? Like, how did I not see the signs? And for the majority of people, when they do decide to attempt suicide or to end their life, they decide within a 10 minute window. Oh, wow. So there is a level of impulsivity to suicide, which is one of the things that I always assess for in my clients. And, and knowing that, that's, that's kind of scary. Yes, I mean, extremely scary. I, that is a very fascinating statistic. And, and that, so I would imagine being aware of what are some of the risk factors that you're assessing for then if we know that impulsivity is highly tied to this, what do you assess for when you're working with these clients? So, so some of the big ones I look for is, is this person currently isolated? You know, who are, who's in their social network and how often are they having contact with those people, whether it's in person or online on the phone? I'm also looking for my client saying that they feel like a burden. So that's, that's a big warning sign along with the isolation. I'm also, you know, seeing if they feel hopeless or helpless. They feel like they're lacking purpose or meaning in their lives, looking for mood swings. So having those, you know, intense emotions coming up. And also if people are directly talking about wanting to die, you know, whether it's more in that passive way that I mentioned earlier, or if they're directly saying like, yeah, I think about killing myself at times. And with those risk factors, something that we commonly, we know when we work with parents of teens or even partners of individuals who have expressed suicidal ideation, there's often this link between self-harming behaviors. So cutting or engaging in other self-harming activities and that fear of suicide in, in based on the research and your experience, is there a direct link there? So again, this is where it, it gets a little tough for some people, right? Because just because someone is 
let's say like they're cutting themselves, for example, that doesn't mean they're necessarily at risk for suicide. So if I'm working with teens where I see some of these other warning signs that I mentioned and they are also cutting, then I'm more concerned. Or it could even be, you know, if they are restricting calories in their diet, if they're binging or purging, that's another, you know, I view that as a way to harm yourself as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is when I become concerned about self-harm behaviors, because usually we look at self-harm as a way of coping. So it's one of those unhealthy coping yes. mechanisms that people develop and that they use in their lives. So I still work with that. We still work on w- like what are healthy coping skills. But again, just because your teen, for example, is self-harming, that doesn't mean they need to go to the hospital. I think that that is such a- an important distinction to make. One of the other common misconceptions that we hear frequently is that individuals with suicidal ideation or individuals who have attempted are just seeking attention. They're just doing it so people pay attention to them. What are your thoughts around that? Oh, yes. I hear that often, too. Um, I think it's hard at times for us to take children and teens seriously when they talk about wanting to die. and. I tell all of my parents, my clients, you need to take that seriously. So sometimes children, maybe they do develop maladaptive strategies to get their parents' attention. But if your child is talking about wanting to, you need to pay attention and seek out professional help. Because then at least, you know, you did your due diligence to have them professionally assessed. I have worked with children who I, they were suicidal. And there were times where I'm like, wow, like, it's amazing that I have a nine-year-old in my office who really does want to end their life right now. And of course, that person, they received the proper care that they needed, but take it seriously. Yes, I, that's, I mean, beautiful feedback that regardless of if you, what your belief system is about why your child is engaging in, in those behaviors or making those statements, taking it seriously is, is always a necessary step. And in doing so, you said, so seeking professional help is that what would be for parents listening, what would be just even a couple pieces of advice that you would give if, and let's not even narrow it down to parents. So if somebody's worried about a friend or their partner, what steps can they take? So, you know, if you're concerned about someone in your life, go to them, check in with them. You know, if you are concerned that they're having suicidal thoughts, ask them. Just say, are you having thoughts of wanting to kill yourself or even are you having thoughts about death, dying or wanting to kill yourself and just engage in that conversation. Now, what's important with being able to engage in this conversation is actually listening to what that person is saying, because oftentimes we want to jump in with fixing it. We want to jump in with advice or lecturing that person on how they're wrong. That's not going to help in those situations. So if you do feel like this person is at risk in your life and you can ask them to get professional help, if it's your child, take them to seek out a therapist who specifically works with suicidal ideation, self-harm, because they're really going to have the proper assessments and resources to be able to have an accurate assessment on, on that person. Yes, all such good information. Tell us, where can our audience find out more about you and and what are some even some resources that you might suggest for them? Absolutely. So oftentimes we talk about resources for, you know, friends, family members of what to look out for. But one of my favorite websites for those who are struggling with suicidal thoughts is nowmattersnow.org. So 
this website is proven, is backed by research that when people are in a crisis, if you go to this website, you will be able to de-escalate your emotions in under 10 minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. It's, it's Which, <laughs> according to your earlier statistic would be, I mean, the perfect amount of time when you're talking about that impulsivity of that decision being made within the 10 minutes. So I'm sure that there's a link there with the research. Okay. So that's a great resource. Yes. And then my second resource that I give to all my parents that I have with me is Robbie's Hope Adult Handbook. And so if you just Google Robbie's Hope, this their website will come right up. These handbooks are written by teens for adults, whether it's a trusted adult or a parent in their life, on how to engage in conversations about mental health and suicide. Ah, okay. So that's very informative. It's coming straight from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So this is available. You can download the PDF in English and in Spanish. Okay, amazing. And where can our audience find you? Where can they connect with you? Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at The Hopeful Therapist. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here, Victoria. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thank you all for tuning into this episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected. Please make sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram, and also make sure to rate and subscribe to our podcast so that others can find our content as well. Thank you again for joining us in this episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected.